Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So we know that God is even with us, even in the hard times, through the valley, even valleys of shadows of death. Romans chapter 15, this morning, in verse number 13. You got my text last night, you know what the message is going to be on today. It's on hope. Hope. And man, if there's anything that I would say that I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks, or maybe more than that, is uh, I've been considering that one thing that we need for 2021 is hope. Hope. Hope Reset is the title of the message today. Hope Reset. And uh, we need to hit the reset button on hope and find our hope needs to be resting in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 13. The Bible now tells us here, he says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Before this passage in verse number 13, Paul gives to the Romans four different Old Testament uh, references to tell them that God has come to save them, not just them, not just the Jewish people, but of all people, and he's come to save the Gentiles specifically. He says the Gentiles will praise him. He says the Gentiles will reign and rise up and praise the Lord. The Gentiles will trust in him. And then he encourages them to now be this God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. He wants them to be abounding in it. I like that word, abounding, filling. The word plero means to just means to be filled up to the brim is the idea of filled with hope. And he wishes this for him. He desires them to be filled with it, to be filled to the brim with hope. I'd ask you a question. Are you filled to the brim with hope? I mean, just filled to the brim. That's just flowing over. I mean, the, the, the hope is abounding, you'd say. I, I feel like Tigger hope, you know what I mean? It's just bounding all around. I just got it in me here. And uh, uh, some of you caught that reference right there. And uh, but it's, just, it's just in me. I'm just, I'm just so hopeful about life and about God and about salvation and about heaven. I'm, I'm hopeful for life. And I would say that probably some of us don't have the glass filled to the brim sometimes as we look around at life, as we look at this past year. You know, we need to hit the reset button. I'm going to save you some money here just for a moment. How many of you have a garbage disposer in your house? All right, okay, you've got a garbage disposer. Or I'll save you a little money from the plumber, all right? And that is this, is that the next time your, your garbage disposer gets clogged up and it don't, doesn't want to run, first thing you need to do is, well, the thing that none of you want to do is reach your hand down in that grubby mess down there. Listen, nobody's going to turn it on, okay? All right, there's no wicked movie out there that's going to make you think you're going to die by putting your hand down in the garbage disposer, okay? Reach down there and find something. There's usually something down in there that's jammed it up. I've seen all kinds of things, forks and spoons and glass and aquarium rocks. Don't know how those got there, but anyhow, I'm cleaning out the aquarium, I guess. You know, pouring it down, thought maybe it would go down there and grind them up. Anyhow, 
Uh, reach down there first of all, unclog it, get it out. Once you find all the stuff and everything, and you go over there and you turn on the water and run the water, make sure that it's not clogged up still. And then if it still doesn't want to work when you push that little button, it goes mm, like that. What you do, there's a little magic button on the very bottom of your disposal, a little red button called a reset button. You push that little button, right there it is. Garbage disposal will work right there. I tell you right now, that's the easiest $150 any plumber will ever make on you. So, uh, and they'll be in and out of anything. And they'll say, how did you, you'll you ask them, how did you do that? And they'll say, well, ma'am, I can't tell you. And uh, so I can make $150 off you again. So, uh, see, here's the thing, is that that disposer's got a little reset button on it. And when it jams and it causes problems, you hit that reset button. Man, don't you wish there was a reset button on life? Amen. On some areas and some problems and some mistakes that you made. But I tell you, there's not one, but there is one on this new year and on every single day of your life. And you can hit the reset button of hope. Of hope. Hope thou in God. If you're like me, then you know and you see last year was not anything like you had planned. Things were canceled. Things did not go the way you thought they should go. Things that were scheduled did not get done. Things that you wanted to do and goals that you wanted to meet were not met. And 2020 was probably no banner year, as some people call them. It was no banner year for many people in some ways, and especially for churches, I would say. A large majority of churches, even to this very day, still facing fines or being shut down or being uh, charged and things of that nature. But I'd say that a large majority of churches were not even prepared for what was going to happen at the beginning of 2020. My wife and I have been laughing about this, and we've been kind of joking around about it now. It's been a, kind of a little joke around our house. Is a lot of churches have that uh, theme this year of we need to have 2020 vision. 2020 vision, right? Uh, I'll tell you what, all churches and all God's people were blind to what was going to happen in the year 2020. Uh, we had no idea what was going to happen. We had uh, whatever that kind of vision you might have had, 2060, you were blind. I mean, you didn't have any kind of vision. 2020 got us thinking out of the box. It got us out of our comfort zone. It made us probably pray a little bit more, at least I hope that it did. But it really zapped some hope out of us. The whole talks of the coronavirus, the vaccines, the masks, the six feet apart, the elections, the trials, maybe it was family problems or loss of income or just sheer disappointment after disappointment. I'm in no way saying in this message that 2021 is going to be a better year, okay? I'm not telling you that. I'm not trying to hear to let you know that 2021 is the year of hope. No, that's not what I'm saying, but it can be. It can be a year of hope. We could hope to be different and better Christians than we were last year. We could hope that Jesus Christ will come this year. Amen. We could hope that we will grow in the Lord. We could hope that maybe we'll win somebody to Jesus this year. We could hope this, this year in 21 and 21 that we can reset our hope. In this particular passage, he says that we ought to be filled with hope. We ought to be abounding in hope. And I think I'm probably going to go back to this to this theme again next week because this, as studying this topic, if you will, on hope, I've run across some things that really steal away our hope. And I believe that's what's necessary to deal with that before we really get into how to abound in hope. Because you're never going to abound in hope 
if things continue to steal away your hope. It's impossible. It's possible to abound in anything and be filled with anything if it's always being constantly stolen from you. Now I want to deal with four lies this morning that sometimes we swallow that cause us to lose hope. They say once you lose hope, you stop living. You stop living. And that doesn't mean you necessarily commit suicide, but you stop living the life. And if you've realized that you've stopped living a little bit, it's because you've lost some hope. I want to deal with four of these. And the first one is this. I call it a one-track hope. If you're taking notes, it's just a one-track hope. This will be a very topical message this morning. We'll be going over to Ruth, chapter number 1 and verse number 21. Ruth 1, 21, and if there's a woman in the Bible that lost hope, Ruth is our typical example. She lost all hope. She had gone through many trials and many upsets in her life. Her life begins with trials by famine in Bethlehem. She leaves Bethlehem with her family and moves to Moab. Upon arriving in Moab, she's there a few years. We don't know exactly how long, but nonetheless, her husband dies. Her two sons get married to two ladies in Moab, uh, one lady named Ruth, the, uh, the heroine of the story here, and uh, also another lady named Orpah. But in the midst of all of it, she's there in Moab, and those two sons of hers, they also die. And she's left with two daughters-in-laws, and she's faced with the reality of the fact that she has nothing but to move back to Bethlehem face the ridicule and the embarrassment of leaving that place and now returning with nothing. She tells her two daughter-in-laws to leave and to go back to to their families. One does, Orpah, and the other, Ruth, we know, stays with her. But in the midst of it all, in Ruth 1.12, we read this statement that comes out of the mouth of Naomi. Let's sketch a little bit of the narrative in verse number 11. The Bible says, And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope, there it is. If I should say, I have hope, that is, to have a husband, she says in verse 12, also even tonight, you should also bear sons. Would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. A one-track hope. Naomi thought that the only way that their daughters-in-laws could ever uh, be married to somebody that was of her lineage, of her line again, is if Naomi was to get married that very night and to be expecting the very next day and to have a baby and perhaps that baby is going to have to grow up to be 16, 17, 18 years old and then uh, those women are going to have to wait that long to have another husband and if they were going to wait that long, it was going to be a very long time. Would they wait? And she says, no, you won't wait. She says, just go on back. There's only one hope. There's only one way. There's, There's only one way to do this thing. Notice her comment in verse number 12. She says, if I should say, I have hope. In reality, what she's saying is this, I don't have hope. That's what she's really saying. If I should say, I have hope. If I should say this, I'm not saying this. I'm using a hypothetical situation. It's not going to happen. And this is one of the lies that we believe about hope. We believe that only God can, that God can only do it one 
particular way. A one-track hope. A one-way thing. This is the only way it's going to work out. If I have a husband tonight and have some children uh, and they're going to wait for 18 years for you to marry them, that is the only way that you'll ever have husbands again unless you leave me and go away. But what's amazing is this, is that God says, you know what? I've got better plans. I know how to work out things in ways that you don't know how to work out things. What even amazes me is this, is that, is that Naomi talks both Orpah and Ruth out of coming with her. And Ruth ends up marrying Boaz in this particular case here. But do you realize in the story, I never thought about this until I studied this out, is that Orpah would have also possibly had a husband also too. You remember there was two kinsmen redeemers? There was two men that could have possibly married Ruth. The first one said no. We don't know why exactly. But the second one, Boaz, said yes. There were two men, two daughter-in-laws. Could it have been possibly that the other one would have said yes to Orpah? We don't know. But the point is simple. Is that God had made a way. And sometimes we fall into this trap of not having hope because we think that God has to do it this particular way. I remember when I was in college, I remember some guys and girls talking sometimes. and They would say, well, my uh, husband or wife or whoever, that they have to be this tall and they have to look this way and they have to like this food and they have to be from this particular region. Or some of the more spiritual ones would say, well, they have to want to go to this mission field and that's the only person I'm going to marry unless they're going to Papua New Guinea. I'm not going to marry anybody else. Uh, and this, they've got to have this color hair, or they've got to be raised in a Christian family, or go to Christian school. Right, and they had more qualifications on their spouse than God had on their spouse. Isn't that amazing? Uh, and we do that sometimes to God. We put more qualifications, and we say, if, if God doesn't do it this way, then it's not of God. But my friend, that's a one-track hope. And if you get in that way and in that vein, then guess what? You'll be hopeless. God will be saying, what about this and what about that? And here's all these other avenues in which I've prepared. And God's been opening up the doors. And no, it's got to be this way. No, it's got to happen this way. We lose track. We, or excuse me, we lose hope because we get one tracked in our mind. We get into one way of thinking. God has multiple ways of accomplishing his purposes. God has multiple ways. As pastors, sometimes we get into the mindset that, you know, if somebody, if somebody's got to, you know, to, to get right with, I mean, get right or get saved, they got to come to church. I mean, if I got to get, I got to get them to church. I got to get my neighbor to church and, and then he'll get saved. And we get in this one track way. It's got to happen this way. Or I've got to be the one that leads them. Or I've got to be the one that tells them. Or I've got to be the way the one that doesn't. But, you know, here's the thing is that wake up and smell the roses, is that I'm not the only person that can give the gospel to somebody. And church is not the only place that somebody can get saved or get right with God. I mean, praise the Lord and get right in your own bedroom. You can get right anywhere. You can get right in another church, somewhere else. And I, I'm going to read another pastor or, or whoever it might be. God can work in multiple different ways because God is not limited in His uh, ways that He does things. 
But we get one track. Stop limiting God and putting more constraints and restrictions on life than God puts on life. But that's exactly what trials do to us. Trials make us think, well, if God is going to heal me, He's going to have to do it this way. Or if God is going to have to provide for me, then He's going to have to give me this particular job. Or if, there, if we're ever going to, my, this relationship is going to ever be restored, then it's going to have to be restored on my terms. And, and in this way, it's going to happen like this. But we've read too many Disney, we've seen too many Disney movies, and we've read too many fairy tales in life. Because life doesn't work with, uh, with Prince Charming's riding in on white horses, my friend. It's not how life works. And oftentimes, life oftentimes does not work in the way that we think that it should work. We need to realize that we've got to get our heads out of the clouds, or maybe sometimes our heads out of the sand. And realize that God has multiple ways of taking care of His children and doing the things that He wants to do with us. The second lie that we believe is a calculated hope. Now, I must say about this, about the first hope, unlike the rest of them, is this. is At least, I've got to give a little positive information about the first hope, about the one-track mind hope, is that at least with the one-track hope, at least in that particular hope, there it remains some hope in God. The rest of them, no hope in God. No hope at all. The second one I call a calculated hope. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, and verse number 34. Only two times I found this very interesting. Times in the New Testament, or excuse me, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that the word hope is mentioned. You don't find it any other time. Both times are negative. <laughs> Neither one are positive. This one is a calculated hope. A calculated hope. Here we have a scenario that does not include God in the equation of all in this situation of hope. It's found in Luke chapter 6 and verse number 34. And in Luke 6, 34, we have here Jesus speaking to us. And he says to them in verse number, to grab a little bit of the context, in verse 32, he says, For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. If you do good to them that do good to you, what thank have ye? Sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. Did you catch that? And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive. Here Jesus lays out a scenario for us that here is a man, here is somebody that is going to lend to their neighbors in hopes of that they will return it back to them. He returns, in fact, he's not just lending to anybody. I mean, he's a good banker, right? He checks the credentials. He makes sure that he's got the credit score. He makes sure that he's got enough down payment. He makes sure that he's got uh, uh, something, some collateral to back it up. Even if he doesn't able to pay it off, he can give them back these things. It's a calculated hope. Uh, the bank has no hope in you, okay? It has hope in your credit score. It has hope in your down payment. It has hope in your bank account. It has hope in your job. It has hope in those kinds of things. It possesses no hope in you, okay? Used to be a day you'd walk into a bank and a man's handshake and a man's word was what it was. Not today, all right? Especially after 2008, okay? So here's the deal. Here's a man who's a good banker. He says, you know what? I'm going to give to this person because I hope, calculated hope, that they will give back to me. 
I, I have a, I'm resting in my wisdom, my knowledge, my experience, and my, uh, I should say, my knowledge in this person. He has high hopes that he will get his product back because he knows the person. And that's a sad way to live life and a sad way to treat God, too. The problem with this hope is that it has no rest in God at all. It all rests on how can I make things work with my own abilities, my wisdom, my knowledge, and my finances. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 16, 9, it says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. I misquote that verse a lot. I oftentimes say, uh, man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. That's not what the verse says. It says, it says in Proverbs 16, 9, A man's heart deviseth his way. And, but the Lord directed his steps. Remember, devises directed. Proverbs 16, 9. A man's heart devises his way. A man's heart is, is going to say, well, I'll plan it like this, and I'll do it like this, and, and, and if, I, if I'm able to do it like this, it's a little bit different than the one-track code because in this plan, there is no plan of God. It's just, and how can I lay it out? Here's my schedule. Here's how I'm going to do it. Here's what I'm going to do this year. Proverbs 19, 21 is very similar. It says, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Also, Jeremiah speaks to it. He says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Such a hope will prove faulty and useless. No one at the beginning of this year planned out what was going to happen. Amen? You had, like I said at the beginning, you had goals, you had dreams, you had things you wanted to do. But you guess what? I was supposed to go to Trinidad and Tobago. I was supposed to go to Guyana and preach the gospel down there. Guess what? That didn't happen. Uh, we wanted to do other things that just didn't happen. We didn't even have, you imagine, we didn't even have Easter Sunday service here. At, at the church. I remember just doing it out there on the front lawn and uh, Karis having the uh, camera and uh, video recording record me for the service. Didn't have the pancake breakfast or anything like that. I mean, things just didn't turn out last year. Praise God. We had vacation Bible school, though. We saw some kids get saved. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. I, I'm just telling you that things last year may have not turned out the way they did because oftentimes we're devising things. We're planning things. We're saying we've got a calculated hope. Problem is, is that we can calculate all we want to. We can plan all we want to. We can schedule all we want to. There's nothing wrong with planning or scheduling. I'm not getting on to banks for not giving out $100,000 on the handshake and a word anymore, okay? That's not my point. The point is this, is that if we're resting in those things, if we manage to live in this particular way, as long as my plans are working out, I'm okay. I've got hope. But the moment those plans stop working, then immediately hope is gone. Some people think, well, I'll be all right as long as I get this deal done. As long as I get this job, or if I can manage to accomplish this year, then I can take the rest off and take it easy. My life will be okay. Or worse yet, Consider this, that some Christians think that they can live 15 to 20 years without including God in their life too much. And suddenly when they're older, they think, I'll start following God then. And I remind all you young people and teenagers here this morning that that's a very poor way to live life. It's a very 
poor, calculated hope. None of us have any hope that we'll live one day longer. None of us have any hope. We have no, none of us have, I should say, none of us have any knowledge or foreknowledge that we'll live tomorrow. The best time to serve God is today. There's a calculated hope, it's a false hope. There's a one-track hope, it's a false hope. But there's also in Jeremiah, we find a regretful hope. Turn over to Jeremiah 18.12. 18.12. Jeremiah is a prophet that is wanting to bring, his, bring the people of Israel back to God. They've sinned many times, and Jeremiah is a prophet in the time when sin is rampant and abundant. Idolatry is everywhere. And he's preaching to them, and he's trying to get them to see their sin and see what they've done against God. In verse number 11, the Bible says, Jeremiah speaks here and he says, Now therefore go to speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. Do you see what he means right there? He says, he says Return. Believe. Uh, stop sinning. Stop going away from God. But look at verse number 12. And they said, There is what? No hope. They said there is no hope. But we will walk after our own devices. We will, everyone, do the imagination of his evil heart. Jeremiah 2.25 says, Withhold thy foot from being unshot and thy throat from thirst. But thou saidest, there is no hope. No, for I love strangers and after them will I go. What's the point there? Jeremiah is telling them, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Uh, he says, stop drinking water and stop eating meat and repent and fast and beg God for help. And they said, there is no hope. Here we have the prophet Jeremiah calling on the people of Israel to repent and turn back to God. But he gets a regretful and terrible answer. There is no hope. We will return to our false gods. That's a sad situation to be in. A situation where you say there is no hope at all. What you're really saying is this, is that things are just too bad. I've been too bad. I've been too sinful. We are too wicked. We are too ungodly. We have sinned too much. We have gone too far away from the Lord God, Jehovah. We have returned. We have gone too far away from any hope that we have in uh, being a better Christian or being a better Jew in this case. We have gone too far. I might as well drink. I might as well live it up. I might as well continue in my sin of adultery or fornication. I might as well just continue to live my life without God. It's no use. God doesn't love us. God doesn't care about us. Look at the position we're in. He wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. And my friend, that is exactly where all of us are wrong. This is a, this is a type of uh, a false hope that the devil wants every one of us as Christians to suck in and believe. Every time we sin, every time we do something wrong, the devil is on our shoulder back here saying, listen, you messed up. 
You did it wrong. You're no good. You don't deserve to be a Christian. You don't deserve to pray. You don't deserve to read your Bible. You don't deserve to go to church. You don't deserve to listen to God. You don't deserve to have the blessings of God. Just go ahead. Keep sinning. Keep living the way you're living. No use in trying. You're no good. You can't do it. You've tried a hundred times and you failed a hundred times. You're no good. No good. No good. And you get that in your mind, in your head. And you know what ends up happening? You start to believe it. And when you start to believe that, it's a regretful hope and it's a no hope situation. It's a lie about hope that because you've sinned and you've done wrong, even as bad as they were off in Israel, as wicked as they were, understand, they were building uh, idols and putting them in the temple and worshiping them and offering sacrifices to them. And as bad off as Israel was, Yet God says, return and repent, and I will hear you. And yet they said, there is no one. We will keep going in our wrong direction, just like our evil heart has told us to do. And if you're in that situation, may I tell you right now that God proves you wrong. You are wrong to believe such things. Because I have a personal testimony from the Word of God right nestled into the Scriptures that teaches me about a man that was so wicked that when he actually became a Christian that people thought it was a ploy and a disguise to hold up the church and call more people off to prison and to kill more of them. I'm talking about a person that was so bad that he calls himself a blasphemer. He was injurious. He was a persecutor. He was ungodly. He was covetousness. He was covetous. I'm talking about the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 books of the New Testament. And he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, that he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundantly, abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am, the chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy. Why? That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. I am under the conviction, the belief that Paul, when he wrote that I am the chiefest of sinners, that that is inspired scripture. And God was saying, yes, you were the chief of sinners. You were the top dog. There was nobody better than you. You were the best of sinners, all right? I mean, you were the chief. You were the chief. And I saved you. And God saved Paul so that he could prove and dispel all faults of anybody ever saying, I am horrible. God can never save me. That is false. Because he saved the apostle Paul. And if he could save Paul, he can save anybody is what he's saying. Not what he's saying. That's what God says. That's what the word of God. We believe the word of God. And the word says, if you can save him, he can save anybody. Anybody. It doesn't matter. There was nobody worse than Paul. You say, I know some people. I know some. Listen, there's nobody. Why? What was he doing? He was blaspheming God. He was killing 
people in the church in the name of God. I mean, does that make sense? In the name of God. He was using God's stamp, Jehovah, to kill people. That's wicked. That's ungodly. I don't know anybody that's done that. God says, if I can save you, I can save anybody. And friend, I don't care what you've done in your life. I don't care what position you've been. I tell you this, look to Christ. He is our only hope. Hope thou in God. Christian, don't swallow the lie that says that I can never be of any use to God because of what I've done in the past or what I did yesterday. Don't you swallow the lie of the devil trying to poke on you saying you have no hope because of look at what you did and look what you said. Here's what you do. Repent and ask God to forgive you and go to Him and say, God, I need your help and I hope only in you. One more hope. Not a real hope, but a lie about hope. I want to call it multi-trial hope. But if you want to put it down like this, I just think it's easier to remember to call it Job hope. Job hope. Seventeen times the word hope is mentioned in the book of Job. Sounds like a hopeful book, doesn't it? I read all seventeen of them. Every one of them is negative. Not one of them is positive. Let me just read you a sample. And where is now my hope? As for hope, who shall see it? There's two mentions of it. He hath destroyed me on every side. I am gone, and my hope, and my hope hath he removed like a tree. You ever seen a tree that's been rooted up from its roots up? There's no hope in that tree. It's left for the fire. What is my strength that I should hope? What is my end that I should prolong my life? Job says, I have no more hope so much. Why should I continue to live? That's how much hope he had, which brings us to zero hope. Job hope. Multi-trial hope. That's what happens whenever you experience trial on top of trial on top of trial and you see there is no way out. You really feel like you're in a, uh, you feel like there is no escape from your prison. The light at the end of the tunnel is the proverbial train, Right? There is no light. It's just an oncoming train about to run you over again. And that's Job hope. And it's really no hope. Because here, and all the people that were around him that were convincing him that he was a sinner, and his wife that was nagging him, the whole time he, he, was, he, was, he was realizing that he has nothing left to care for, nothing left to live for, nothing left to do. There is absolutely no reason to continue my life. Your life perhaps is not going the way you expected it, and you're left wondering, does God even care? Is Christianity even worth it? I've gone to church my whole life for this. I trusted God for this. And it's in that moment when you start to suck in that lie that you start to lose hope in God and start to believe a lie that there will never be any hope again. 
As I said, it's perfectly illustrated in this, what is mine end that I should prolong my life? And he almost comes to the point of suicide and truly people that do run into lives that have no hope at all or think that they have no hope. Because understand, let me put this out there, is that anybody that thinks that they have no hope have really believed a lie. Because there's always hope. Because there's always Christ. And as long as there's a Jesus that lives, and I believe the Bible lets us know that he's the eternal God, amen, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, as long as Jesus Christ is alive and he always will be alive, there remains hope for every person in this world. But this is so common whenever we attach hope to the things of this world. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you saying, you know, I hope my kids turn out to be okay. Or I hope my kids go to college. Or I hope that I'll be able to get that job. Or I hope that maybe one day I'll be able to do this. That's not what I mean. But what happens in times like this is that we have placed our hopes and dreams on things and people and circumstances in life. And really what has happened is that our... And so naturally, when those things leave us, guess what else leaves us? Hope. Because our life was bound up in those. But should we swallow such a belief? Can we find hope even in the midst of multi, a multiplicity of trials when the world is crashing down around us? Yes, we can. Remember our garbage disposer? You've got four lines stuck down there in the garbage disposer of life. You know what? You're going to have to get your hand dirty. I'm sorry. And you have to go down through the grease and the grime because sin is greasy and grimy and nasty. Okay? Let's just be honest about it. Sin is not pretty. Sin is not delightful. Sin is yucky disgusting, it's greasy and grimy. Working in the plumbing field, people say you must hate working in sewers. No, hate working in grease. The nastiest stuff there is, grease. Disgusting, it's all over you. So it all washes off, not grease. Grease is disgusting, it smells, it is literally rotting flesh in some cases, is what it is. Just to kind of give you an idea. Just trying to give you a good picture of sin. Okay? Yeah, animal, animal flesh, yes. We'll classify that real quick. We don't mess with, never mess with any cannibalistic situations. It's going to be nasty, folks. It's not going to be easy. But you're going to have to dig out maybe all of these lies or one of these lies, that one-track hope, that calculated hope, that multi-trial hope, that regretful hope, and you're going to have to dig them out. And then, you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to turn on the water. You know what the water is? Right here it is. It's the Word of God. They have to wash it off with the Word of God and some good dull dish detergent because it will get it clean. Get it back to the Word. Wash your mind. Find yourself in God's Word and find that God will change you. God will help you and your hope will be correctly centered whenever you find hope here. And then 
hit the reset button. And you know what the reset button is on hope? Something I've been saying for the last month. Job says it too. When he comes to the end of it all, he says this. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know what the reset button is on hope? It's repentance. You see, you need to repent. Because you have believed a lie. And when you believe a lie, a mistruth about God, you need to repent of believing that lie and trust in God. Repent and ask God to forgive you and to help you and see that there's hope that's found in God. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. For thou art my hope, O Lord. Why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And where is your hope today? Do you have a hope that is abounding, that is filled up to the brim? You're just so hopeful about life. You're abounding with hope. But perhaps, if you're not, Maybe you've swallowed one of these lies. And it's clogged you up. And you need to repent. Sinner, I've spoken briefly to you today. If you're not saved today, I've briefly spoken to you. But may I say this before we close? If you are here today without Christ, you have no hope. You have no hope. You're a hopeless. You're lost without Christ and you. You have possessed no hope of your forgiveness of sins, no hope of a remedy of your eternal salvation, no hope in reconciliation with God, no hope of a justification with God, no hope of a relationship with Jesus Christ. You are hopelessly and tragically lost. And you, my friend, if you are here without Christ, you are the most hopeless of hopeless persons here today. But may I remind you that you can find hope in Jesus that you can believe upon Him, that you can trust God today to save you from your sins. I hope to deal with this in another message, but I don't want to leave here today without anybody knowing and being assured of the fact that if you do not have hope, you have no hope at all, maybe it's just the fact you don't have the Lord and Savior as your Lord and Savior. Because without Christ as Lord and Savior, you have no hope. But if you will believe upon Christ Jesus that He died for your sins and rose again the third day, then my friend, you can have hope in God. Abounding hope. Hope of everlasting and eternal life in Christ our Savior. Will you believe? If you will, He will give you hope. Christian, Christian, you already have hope. You already have hope. But this world that we live in wants to suck it dry from you. Don't let it. Don't let it. Recognize the lies that the devil wants to speak to you about hope. See where they've clogged you up. Wash yourself clean with the word and repent. Reset hope. 2021. Father.